This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G makes business sense. I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. Brazil is the biggest country in South America and also one of the largest economies in the world. Aside from its natural resources of hard commodities like gold and iron ore, this country also has rich biodiversity assets including the rainforest and the Amazon River. However, lesser known is their role as an incubator for tech startups. Today, we speak to Professor Silvio Mera, founder and chairman of Porto Digital Tech Park which has become a bona fide centre for Brazil's emerging tech and creative economy sectors. He's also, of course, a distinguished fellow of the Asia School of Business. Good morning, Professor, and thanks for joining us. Now, um, let's start with some background, because for Malaysians, the one thing we associate Brazil with is football, with players like Pelé and Ronaldo. Yeah. So tell us, how did Porto Digital Tech Park, located in Recife, which was in a state of decline, then come about? Uh, first, good morning to everybody. Thanks for having me here. Um, Recife uh, was one of the richest places in Brazil since the early 1600s. Uh, uh, it was better known for sugarcane, and sugarcane uh, was, you know, the monoculture of the region for centuries, from the uh, late uh, 1500s to the late 1800s. But then uh, sugarcane moved south, mm. the markets went global, and the city got poorer, and the center of Recife uh, actually was um, in a state of decay for a long time because the harbor of Recife, which, which was famous for sugarcane, went south for bigger uh, ships and tankers and mm. container ships. And then um, we had this kind of a derelict city center. But Recife was a center for education ever since the 1500s and had good uh, uh, universities, um, three big universities and good uh, schools for mathematics, for physics, for engineering. And we started a computer science center at the Federal University of Pernambuco in Recife in 1974 and another one at the Catholic University in 1974 as well. And then we started uh, educating people to write code to write computer programs. That uh, was something peripheral for the city for maybe 20 years, but in the uh, 1990s, uh, we founded CESAR. That's an innovation uh, center, an innovation institute that was meant to be global from scratch. But it was a small operation in 2000, mm -hmm. had 200 people. And we uh, kind of saw or imagined that Caesar wasn't going to be enough to change the city. And we made a plan and um, got the um, support from the then governor, Jabos Vasconcelos, to actually transform downtown Recife, the place where the harbor was, in a tech park. That's Porto Digital. We started with five companies. 46 people in 2000. And with this huge ambition of having 50,000 people in 2050. So it was a kind of long-range planning effort mm. uh, that... Uh, started with, of course, educating people to do world-class research in computer science from the early 70s onwards. Okay, so it's a delightful combination of academics, government, and also eventually, I guess, companies, right? Yes. But since it started, 171 acres, it now has 350 companies employing more than 17,000 in an urban yes. setting. Did you ever think it would grow to that size? I mean, what was the magic formula? Or did it just kind of all happen organically? No, no, no. It wasn't magic. And uh, there is a formula. But the formula is 
designing a strategy and running it in an experimental way, uh, in an iterative form, together with government, companies, investors, uh, faculty, mm -hmm. uh, universities, other companies that weren't digital at all, like media. We have all media companies in Recife basically within Porto Digital right now, to the point that Global, which is the main national TV network that's digitalizing, has been digitalizing for 15 years, part of the apps that they develop uh, for media, for streaming media, are developed mm -hmm. at Porto Digital these days. So it's uh, a kind of things you have to attract businesses, you have to incubate new businesses, you have to start new businesses from the universities to the market. You have to try and uh, sell things uh, for other companies outside Brazil. Uh, most of what happens at Porto Digital and most what happens in technology in Brazil is business to business, is not business to consumer, uh, because of a number of reasons that um, that are complicated to, to understand and maybe to explain as well. But then the point is, uh, let's Think in the long term, you know, a 50-year time scale, and let's try to do it bit by bit. Okay. We, are, we never thought we were, we were going to, to be in the place where we are today. But at the same time, we always wanted to be much more than what we are today. Okay, so you were brave enough <clears throat> to have a 50-year vision, but you had plans for like in in small periods five years, ten years, yeah. right? So to just get going. But what was interesting to me is that your tech park. Most are either for profit or very often run by a government agency. Yeah. So does it make a difference that Porto Digital Tech Park is privately managed by a non-profit association, the Porto Digital Management Centre? Because for me, like you say, when you're driven by profit, sometimes you take a very short-term view yes. versus a long-term yes. one. And sometimes when there's government involved, there is populist issues yeah, come absolutely. into play. So do you, are you unique then? Does that make the difference? Brazil has uh, maybe two or three tech parks that are not government-owned or, or company-owned. Mm. Porto Digital is one of them, and it's the most successful one because government is part of it. Okay. It's a public policy. But, but they shouldn't run it. Government doesn't run it. So government still funds Porto Digital. We are mostly self-sustainable, kind of uh, 90% of the entire um, budget of Porto Digital, the business of the tech park is generated by Porto Digital proper, but we still have government money, for example, for education. Okay. Large university grants come from, come from the city hall uh, of Recife these days and from, from the federal government as well. Not, not a lot of money from the state government of Pernambuco. But the point is, we have a 19-member board at Porto mm. Digital. There is the state government, the city government, um, representatives from industry, from uh, the businesses at Porto Digital, from other uh, business organizations related to tech, from entrepreneurs, from the universities, from the, from the innovation centers. So this board actually manages Porto Digital in the long run. Okay. We always think the long run. It has to be a self-sustainable organization that runs a public policy. Even if it is with its own money, it's still a public policy because we have governments from the city and from the state represented there helping to design, to develop and to maintain the vision and the policy and its execution in the long run. But Silvio, how does everybody agree? Because everybody has different interests, <clears throat> right? Um, like you say, it's, it's 
got academics, businesses, government officials, and I'm sure there are points in time where of you course. think, you know, we want to take that direction, that direction, another direction. So how is that resolved? Um, lots of talking, <laughs> lots of conversation, lots of agreements, lots of alliances, lots of, uh, you know, thinking about how to regenerate a city that was one of the richest in Latin America. And it's one of the most unequal these days. Recife mm. is known in Brazil for being one of the most unequal cities in Latin America. It has a lot of potential. So we are going, uh, we are doing things, sorry, in a way that we are trying to bring into Porto Digital the less well um, being part of the population. So you, you want know, to be inclusive, poor, right? Yeah, we are being very inclusive to try to bring students from the poorest schools in the poorest regions of the city to start being coders, to start understanding what is design of information systems, what's the management of information systems projects and stuff like that. And um, we are actually uh, running two or three, I think three uh, public policies nowadays to include people that wouldn't ever think that Porto Digital existed mm. in Porto Digital as coders, as designers, as managers, as uh, salespeople, okay. and so on and so forth. But does it, is that the threat or the possibility that it will end up like what San Francisco did? You know, it's got Silicon Valley by its yeah. borders and then San Francisco became so expensive driving out all the residents because you've got these tech millionaires, which I'm sure some are being created in Porto. Is that the risk of that? I don't think that we, we have that risk. San Francisco and Silicon Valley got mm. into that state of affairs because the kind of investment that's um, being made, have been made there, has been made there for maybe decades, ever since the 80s. It's one that creates billionaires for, by design. By okay. design. It's, a, it's, a, it's a process of creating billionaires. We don't want to do that. We mm. want to do something inclusive to the point that one of the phrases that I repeated in the beginning of Porto Digital, you know, billions of times was, uh, we want every entrepreneur at Porto Digital to ride a, a Porsche Cabriolet. But it, his or her or she has to drive that through the streets of Recife with the top down at night. Okay. If he can't do that, if she can't do that, what is the then point? we failed. Yeah. Because then it, it would be a process of exclusion, of creating riches mm. and maintaining a lot of people poorer. It, it wouldn't work like that. So the kind of business is also B2B. It's not, you know, those gigantic exponential things that once... Uh, you know, out of the box, you get these billionaire companies that, you know, the people call unicorns, mm. companies that are valued at a billion dollars US. or more. We don't have that in, in Brazil mostly. And we have none of them in Recife. And the plan is not to have that because there is a sustainable way of creating tech companies. And I don't think it's the Silicon Valley way. It looks much more like the German way of creating middle stands. Mm. Companies that are, you know, have a gross, uh, annual gross revenue from between... 20 million and 50 million euros. Maybe hiring That's, 50 to 100 only. Yes. And, and then they, they employ from 100 to 500 people. Okay. And they are sustainable because they do something very specific in a very high performance way. On the breakfast grill this morning is Professor Silver Mera, founder and chairman of Porto Digital Tech Park, who is also a distinguished fellow of the Asia School of Business. After a break, what lessons can Malaysia learn to be the best digital park in the region? BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense.
BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Breakfast Grill, where in the hot seat this morning is Professor Silvio Mera, founder and chairman of Porto Digital Tech Park, who is also a distinguished fellow of the Asia School of Business. Before the break, how important are public-private partnerships when it comes to a successful digital tech park? Silvio, I want to talk about the city yeah. of uh, Recife. Did I get it right? I mean, yes. It's a city that was hollowing out. We have to rewind to the 19. 19- 1990s, younger people fleeing to bigger cities. And there were two parts of this. I mean, I think the vision was to make the city more livable, creating not just jobs, but of course, good paying ones. So let's talk about this urban revival. How possible was it for technological development to combine with the preservation of history and culture as the city has roots all the way dating back to the 16th century? Yes, uh, the point is uh, Recife City was founded in an island. It's called the island of Recife. We have within the city an island that has the name of the city proper. And that island where the harbor was, was, as you said, hollowing out since the 1970s. But it's protected uh, by the National Trust, the National Historic Trust, the entire island, every Mm. single building. And the island itself, you can't actually go into a place and remove a building and build something else, even if it has the same volume. Okay. So you have to preserve... No skyscrapers for you. No skyscrapers whatsoever. In the beginning, we thought that that was bad. But then, uh, five years after, we discovered it was very good. Because we could acquire, with the small money grant that we had in the beginning, we could start acquiring buildings, renovating those buildings, and lending them to tech companies, small Mm. tech companies, startups, companies with 20, 30 people, 50 people, something like that. So we started small, not with a big company. We, We have at Porto Digital these days a company, Accenture, which is global, that employs 3,000 people at Porto Digital. They are they work at offices in converted warehouses that were also historic buildings. Mm. But in the beginning, it was just small places. Over the period of 22 years that Porto Digital has been running since uh, early um, 2000, we renovated 170,000 square meters of office space coming from all sorts of things that existed before. Mm. Old theaters, old uh, warehouses, warehouses, old homes, old Mm. um, stories, and and so on and so forth. So the point of that is that for every... um, penny that we actually get from federal, state, city government grants, we use part of that to acquire and renovate buildings. Okay, but you're not pushing out the local residents. Sometimes no, with ur- we urban bringing, regeneration, yeah, sometimes that happens, yes. right? Yes, we had a, we had very few residents in the island because everybody was going out anyway when mm. we started. But right now we are attracting people to live in the island. We are starting to build residential blocks. There, w- there were some buildings that uh, actually went um, over the regulation in the 50s and 60s that you have three skyscrapers in the island. The and one ones. of them is a federal tribunal, another one is the city hall, Amazing. another one Those is buildings a are bank. The government buildings. Yeah, government buildings, you know. But now we are trying to bring back people, like, for example, there's, there's an old uh, mill in the, in the, uh, right in the heart of the island, which was also the heart of the harbor and the mills there, that is, uh, has been converted into offices, services, and living spaces. So we are bringing people to live back in the island. But also Porto Digital uh, doesn't fit in the island 
properly uh, right now. And it's expanding, expanding to regions around the island mm. where we attracted people to live there as well. Okay, but for a tech park to, su- to be successful, companies still need to make money from their ideas, right? Definitely. So, and, you know, they, so how does this actually translate? Because you cannot just have companies that are, you know, just doing research and development. How are those actually then translated into actionable insights? I mean, how is that facilitated in Porto Digital Park? Uh, look, one of the first uh, things we did in the beginning was to convince people, local companies that existed at the time, that mm. it wasn't worth the while to build things for Pernambuco, the state. It's just two and a half percent of the entire Brazilian economy. We have a state in Brazil, Sao Paulo, that has 40% of Brazilian GDPs generated there. Mm. And 70% of all decisions related to information technology are taken in action upon in Sao Paulo as well. The so, financial capital of yes, Brazil. First thing is, let's not build anything for uh, Pernambuco, the state, and northeast, the region, because we are poor here. We mm. have to get contracts from outside the northeast of Brazil. So Sao Paulo was the first target. But but today, for most companies, the United States and Europe are, of course, the, the targets, the main targets that we go for, for contracts and businesses. So take, for example, for any uh, company at Porto Digital that grosses something more than 10 to 20 million ringgit annually, and there are 360 companies there. So there are at least 200 companies in that kind of region of uh, gross revenue per year. Mm. Uh, they um, actually get most of their revenue from outside Pernambuco and the northeast of Brazil and from outside Brazil. Okay. So that's the first thing. Be global. There is no chance for local IT to do anything relevant for a region, for a city, for employment, because the competition is global. Mm. You, you, you can't succeed by saying, we're going to do something that's good for Malaysia or for Kuala Lumpur, for think example. Think wider, think bigger. Yeah, you have to think like, uh, what are the global problems that I can start solving, starting from Kuala Lumpur, or Malaysia, or Miranti Tech Park, or whatever. Mm. But you can't say, I'm going to do thing uh, a thing in particular that's going to be good for Malaysia, because that's not sustainable. Just about anything that you do uh, in information technology these days depends on things like cloud technology, platforms, ecosystems, and they are necessarily global. It doesn't mean that your company has to be global in terms of business. But in terms of solutions to compete locally, you have to have global performance, global quality, global services. Okay, but it's not really been smooth sailing either. I'm sure COVID was tough. And of course, the previous president, Bolsonaro, dismantled the government's science and technology structures. How disruptive was that to Porto Digital Park? And are you assigning a bit of relief now that you have a new president in place? Is he taking a very different approach? Is President Lula very different? Just for you to have an idea, for four years, uh, Brazilian science and technology and technology parks didn't have a single real, that's the Brazilian currency, Mm. from the federal government. It was basically a drought of funding for science, for research, for higher education, for innovation, for technology parks. Four entire years. So there was almost a deliberate destruction plan of the Brazilian infrastructures and services for science, research, higher education, innovation, Mm. and entrepreneurship. Now, the money's back, but we don't have a clear strategy of, uh, you know, how the money is going to be invested, expanded, and and so on and so forth. So the, the point is, 
um, the, the problem of governments like in Brazil is that we have this kind of episodic, it's ephemeral, um, <laughs> hiccups of of policies that start and stop and start again and stop again all the time. Oh, like and, in some cases, very confusing policy. Yeah, and you don't have a sort of a clear walkway for you to drive your innovation park mm. through it. But what we are doing at Porto Digital, less and less over time, we depend upon federal, state or city grants. We are mostly self-sustainable, and we are reaching that point in which we have a critical mass of entrepreneurs, of innovators, of business people, of managers, of coders, designers, of filmmakers, and all sorts of people that actually make the fabric of Porto Digital work that can kind of, because they've sold companies, because they've mounted, mm. they've started uh, investment funds in technology, we are starting to have a self-regeneration system of people that sold companies or shares in companies mm. and started funds to invest in new companies that are hiring more people, that are needing so more nice people from universities. So there's a nice ecosystem going on yeah. here. Yeah, okay, so we have to talk about Malaysia in the one minute or so that we have left. What advice can you give them? What lessons can we learn from Porto Digital Park? If we really want to do this right here, especially since we have this 686-acre Maranti Park in Bukit Jalil, which is currently redoing their master plan, what advice can you give them? Because what's interesting is Porto Digital Park started with only US 6.8 million ringgit, that's yeah. uh, US dollars, which yes. suggests to me money is not the most important thing. No. First, you have to educate more people with more global competencies. People. The five biggest problems of a tech park anywhere in the world is people. One, people. Two, people. Three, people. Four, people. Five. Then you have to have a set of alliances that uh, you have to put together between government, between uh, investors, entrepreneurs, uh, business people of all sorts, uh, and universities, innovation centers, and research institutions to look at the long term. Mm. Long term. People in the long term. These are the only two things that actually matter. If you can think uh, 50 years, 20 years in advance, you know, where are we going to be in 25 years? Then most things are sorted out because then government mandates, elections, everything else is peripheral to that. And you have to have a very small set of people that are going to work on that plan for 20 years. On that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Breakfast Grill was Professor Silva Mera, founder and chairman of Porto Digital Tech Park and a distinguished fellow of the Asia School of Business. I'm Wong Xiaoning, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.